Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should have an exact place for everything and why you should be very wary of anything that you call your precious. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, who's up for everything, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me. I'm a writer and producer living in L.A., and Gretchen, according to comments on iTunes, I'm both monotone and I sound like a man. <laughs> so I just want you to know I'm working on that. Uh, I don't think you sound like a man. Well, others disagree. <laughs> But anyway, before we get into Try This at Home, we wanted to remind everybody that we're going to have a special episode, episode 20, where it's going to be all about hearing from our listeners. And so to sort of kick that off, we're asking people to send in comments in response to this question. The question is, what's one thing you'd like to change about any relationship in your life? It could be something big or small. And the relationship could be with a spouse, with a boss, sister, whoever. We just want to hear what one thing you'd like to change. And we'd also love to hear from listeners your happiness, demerits, and gold stars. Yeah. So send those to us if possible and call in before June 24th. So we'll have time to sort them out. The number is 774-277-9336 or 77-HAPPY. Three three six. Also, I just wanted to add that we it, it's great if you can be fairly succinct because we want to include a lot of people's comments uh, in this very special episode. Okay, Elizabeth, this week our Try This at Home is to have an exact place for everything. Ah, this one could be life-changing for me. This is something that I noticed from my own experience. It seemed easier, I, I thought, to have kind of an approximate place for things. You know, like this goes in that closet or this goes in... Uh, the bathroom cabinet, or this goes in the pantry. And what I've discovered, though, is that it's actually much easier to put things away. It's certainly easier to find them. Um, and it's also more fun when things have an exact place. There's something weirdly satisfying about putting something away in exactly the right place that's kind of like an archer hitting the, a target. You feel that satisfaction. It's like, oh, it's like a puzzle piece fitting in, you know, the last piece to go in to complete the picture because something goes into the exactly the right place. It's funny because, of course, as you can imagine, I'm not somebody who has an exact place for everything. Yeah. You know, quite the opposite. I won't know if it's in the office or the kitchen. I have a vague sense there's a drawer yeah. somewhere <laughs> where something might be. But as you're talking, I'm re thinking about Jack's Legos, which, oh. you know, he has a million Legos. And recently we got a bunch of bins to, to try to organize the Legos. And I was just saying to Adam like two days ago, that we need more bins ah. because if we had more bins and we could be more specific about what type of Lego went in each bin, it would actually be easier to organize. Well, them. wait, I don't, I don't, I don't want to argue against what we're just saying to have an exact place for everything. But isn't there a danger that you're going to spend your entire day sorting Legos into bins? That sounds like it could be a pretty, pretty big job. It is quite time consuming. Um, it's a multi-person <laughs> job, but I think we. 
agree that it's uh it's sort of a meditative process actually sorting legos it's well that's it, true it, that's true yeah it's very much like that and i will say for jack it's way more fun when he can find the pieces he's looking for rather than just sort of you know ran having to sort through a huge yeah. big pile grubbing uh, through yeah so we're gonna get more bins and just be bin crazy over here well, I mean, this is another thing is I really don't like to spend time looking for things. I find that really, really irritating. So for part of part of the satisfaction for me comes from knowing exactly like if I want a corkscrew, I know exactly where it is. I know where my passport is. I know where AA batteries are. And in fact, I had this ex I use a mouse that I attach to my laptop and I always keep it in a certain place for when I travel. And it wasn't there. And I was like, well, where else could it be? It's like a violation of natural order. <laughs> I would never put it anywhere else. So how is it not possible that it's there? And I looked everywhere. I was so annoyed. And then it turned out it was still in my backpack. I had never unpacked it when I came back from a trip. So actually, it was exactly where it was supposed to be because I knew exactly that it only belonged in one of two places, but I, I forgot to check the other place. Uh. Another thing about having an exact place for everything, a friend of mine, like none of her family would help her put things away or like put away folded laundry or anything because they're like, well, we don't know where it goes. So she, one night in a fury, she went around with a label maker and like labeled everything. And so now she's like, people know exactly where to find things and they know exactly where to put them away. So there's a lot of ways that this can uh, minimize irritation, annoyance, resentment, and save you time from having to look around for things. And like you say, it can be kind of like a meditation. You know, it's putting things away meditation. Yeah, Gretch, this is a simple idea, but I think for me, it could be life changing. I love it. So let us know if you try this at home and if having an exact place for everything makes you happier. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers. So you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. All right. In our next segment, we're going to talk about a happiness stumbling block. And this week, the stumbling block is your precious. And the precious gets its name from the Lord of the Rings. And if you know the books or the movies about the Lord of the Rings, you know there's a character, Gollum, this creature who has a ring. And he loves his ring. And he's the ring has turned him into a monster. And he's enslaved to the ring. And he's lost it. And he's looking for it. And he's constantly talking about his precious his ring. And here he is talking about his precious. They're thieves. They're thieves. They're filthy little thieves. Where is it? Where is it? They stole it from us. My precious. It's ours it is. 
and we want it. <laughs> All right, Gretch, so how is Gollum being enslaved to his ring? Uh, how does that relate to... The, In a magical land the, of yes, Middle-earth. exactly, to this podcast. Okay, so this is the thing. I have noticed with habits that many of us have a habit that really makes us unhappy, that enslaves us, that kind of turns us into a monster. We know it drains us. We know it isn't good for us. It causes us grief. And yet... At the thought of giving it up, we think, no, you can't take it from me. It's my precious. Um, you know, <laughs> it's like scary uh, when you do that. <laughs> but there's kind of something scary about my precious because there is this sort of feeling of lack of control or like there's something that you want, even though you know it's not good for you. And it's sort of a bad feeling to know that even though you know that something's not good for you, you cling to it. And I, re I remember talking to a friend of mine. And she was like, yeah, you know what? I'm really drinking too much wine. And like I come home every night and I say I'm not going to have it. And then I have it and I always have a little bit too much. And, you know, I'm a total abstainer, right? So my yeah. answer to everything is just give it up. And, and, uh, and I said, like in a very gentle way, I said, well, maybe you want to just give up the wine. And she got this crazed look in her eye and she was like, <laughs> I could never give up my wine. <laughs> and I'm not saying that she should give up her wine or that she, but but just the sense of like the precious or, or going to sleep earlier. You know, some people yeah. say, oh, I'm exhausted all the time. And then you say, well, maybe you should go to sleep an hour early. And it's like, they're so, they become so agitated at the idea of giving up that precious thing. So Elizabeth, do you have a precious God, you know what? I think my precious is, I don't do that as well as you do, uh, reality <laughs> TV. It's because you're not a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, what reality TV is your precious? How's that? Because it's like, I love it and I watch way too much of it to the point where it does take away from other things. Right. Like sleep, reading books, watching right. <laughs> movies that I'd want to be watching or or just better to or you know, other TV shows that I'd want to watch. Right. But when I contemplate cutting back on it or I I get like you're saying agitated and very defensive and very like protective of my reality TV. See, I think you're pointing out like the key thing, which is like, and I feel that about my precious. Um, Can't wait to hear that. <laughs> one of the tests of a precious is maybe it's not something that you just feel passionate about. And so you spend a lot of time with it or you're in, you indulge in it a lot in a good way, but that somehow you feel like it's crowding out other things that in kind of a larger sense, you feel like are more valuable or as valuable, but that aren't getting enough attention because the precious is somehow consuming that energy and that time and that space. So my precious, weirdly as it is to say, is Greek yogurt. Like, okay. you know, you know, I don't, I don't eat sugar. So I, and I eat like almost no, like very little fruit even, but I do put artificial sweetener and vanilla and cinnamon in Greek yogurt. And it's, so it's something sweet that I eat and I love it. It's precious to me. <laughs> and if I'm not careful, I'll start eating Greek yogurt like morning, noon, and night, you know, because and it'll crowd out all the other food that I should right. eat. And that isn't, that's not healthy. So I have to be like, it sounds like so trivial or small minded to think that I have to like really pay attention to not letting myself get 
too addicted to Greek yogurt. And it is the point where, like, if I'd come home and I'd think I was going to have some and one of my daughters had eaten the last container, I would I would get that, that feeling of like, oh, my gosh, like, how is this possible? I'm having an image of you crouching in the corner of the kitchen, <laughs> yes. clutching a thing of Greek yogurt and, like, hissing at Eliza and Eleanor. <laughs> that is... That is accurate. <laughs> Don't get me between me and that last container. I mean, I have them squirreled away in the bottom drawer that nobody ever uses so that, you know, I have my secret stash. But it's like, I think, so I think that stumbling block is that when you recognize that you have something like that, you can think about, do I want to change my relationship to this thing? Or think about how I could approach it differently because it is maybe not healthy the way that I'm focused on it and how it's crowding out other valuable, other things of value to me. It's a tough one. I'm not going to tell you that I'm giving up reality TV whatsoever anytime soon. It's my precious. Yeah. And so I am dying to hear what other people identify as their precious. So phone, email, Twitter, Facebook, send it in and let us know what you find to be precious. And if you include an extremely good impression of Gollum saying, my precious, maybe we'll play it on the air. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for the listener question. This week, we've got Genevieve calling from Maryland. I uh, just listened to the podcast and was curious to know if you had any deeper advice for owls who are living in a lark world, because I found that the section talking about your chronotype, the tone of it was actually decidedly pro-lark and made the owls seem a little bit like sloppy individuals who just can't get it together. So I just wondered if you had any uh, any more information on, on that topic and, uh, and if you realized that the tone that was said even in the show was kind of like, yay, larks, boo, owls. Okay, thanks so much. Bye. Well, the, it, it, it's actually the case. I, I certainly did not intend to sound dismissive of owls. And in fact, I think since I've started the research about habits for better than before, I'm much more sympathetic to owls than I used to be. I used to think that if owls just went to bed earlier and got up earlier, they could become larks. And now I realize like that's absolutely not the case, that owls, you know, part of it is what, how old you are because people are very owlish as teenagers and become more larkish with time. But a lot of it is just genetically hardwired. And the fact is, owls are owls. And I actually believe that we should all be much more sympathetic and much more helpful to owls so that they can construct a life that allows them to be owls and not try to force them to constantly be trying to get them up out of bed earlier. I mean, Elizabeth, you're an owl. Yeah, I think what you are saying is that the world is constructed for larks like yourself and not for owls like me. And you and you suffer that. I mean, it's a pain for you. It is. And it's, and I mean, I'm, I'm an owl, but you know, you know, not, not really so much as my husband. I mean, Adam is an owl, you know, through and through, and it is really hard for him to get up early. Although I have lately started convincing him that it's okay to take early flights, which is a major victory on my part. But, you know, it's really tough. And I think you, as you and I discussed, something to do is to just 
try to find ways for an owl to do certain tasks that one would usually do in the morning, do them the night before so that you can add a few extra minutes of sleep in the morning and stay, you know, stay up a little bit later and sleep a little bit later. I mean, it's really tough if someone has kids uh, to do it. Like you said, you had a friend who's married. She's a lark married to an owl. Right. And you were telling, what were you telling her? Well, so she's a lark married to an owl and she was saying like, oh, you know, he's such a night person and he's terrible in the morning and like he gets up to help me get the two kids off for school, but he's not even helpful because he's just like sort of bumbling around and really (laughs) grouchy. And I said to her, you know, and again, this is about the thing about maybe what we should do is to try to change the circumstances of owls to allow them to just sleep later. I said, you're saying that he's not being helpful. Why don't you just let him sleep? Because if the idea is that he's getting up to help you get the kids off to school, he's not because he's just sort of not capable of that. So let him sleep because that's what and then maybe he'll do something like pack the lunches the night before, get the kids clothes out the night before, because you're exhausted at the end of the day because you're a lark. But he is feeling much more productive and creative and energetic at that part of the day. So maybe he can help in the morning, like you say, the night before. And then you could just say, like, look, dude, you're not I'm just going to let you sleep in because the fact is owls just they just need that sleep. And, if, and, and, I, and I read about some writer who had four children, and uh, this was like in the 60s, I think, and she hired somebody to come in the morning to get up, only to get, do the morning thing, like to get up, to wake her children up and get them off to school and so that she could sleep till 11 because she simply could not function if she woke up early. So I think part, so I would say we should all really try to help owls like organize the workday and their personal lives to accommodate for that owl nature because it's really something that's not very strongly within their control. And, you know, in the the case of your friend, it may be that if he had more sleep, he would do other things at night, like, you know, figure out plane tickets and yes. and all you know, other stuff, because he would he would feel more energetic and more kindly about doing things. And this just goes to the point that comes up over and over in what we talk about, which is that y- if you really recognize what's true about yourself, you can sort of maximize your natural inclinations and strengths, and then you can figure out ways to counterbalance your limitations and weaknesses. And so this is a way where you could sort of get the best of the lark-owl combination if you just think about how people approach the world in a different way. All right, Gretch, I'm up with a happiness demerit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is a, this is a big one, I've got to say. Uh, it's, it's, I feel like I've really done a bad job I mean, I want to say lately, but it's more than lately. It's years um, of being in touch with my friends on the East Coast. You know, a oh. lot of most of my friends from college live on the East Coast. Um, and, you know, the three hour time difference, it's just as you and I know from trying to connect all the time, it's really a hassle. It doesn't seem like it would be a big deal, but it really gets in the way. It does. And I, you know, I can't blame it all on that. It's just, you know, once you have kids, you're working, you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just sort of like time, days slip away and you haven't called someone and then you haven't emailed them. And then you don't want to email and just say (laughs) hi when you haven't talked to someone for five months. So you're going to wait until you can really have time to talk or time to write a really long email. But so then you never do it. And then you keep, you know, and everyone's like, we need to get together. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to get together. But then I, you know, I'm going to Kansas City over whatever holiday. So I'm not going to the East Coast, you know. And I just feel like I just haven't been done my part to be close to people. 
I've thought about doing the updates like we do with mom and dad, but I feel like, I don't feel like this group is going to embrace that. I feel like they'll think it's cheesy. Ah, well, it is so easy though. And it is, it does, because you're right. This is one of those things where it's like a nagging problem, but it's never urgent. So it's very easy to keep pushing it off. Right. It's like on a day to day basis, you're just living your life. And then you step back and go, oh man, like I haven't seen a friend in two years, you know? Right. So I really want to work on that and be an active friend, not just sort of a friend in theory, you know? Well, I know you, I know you started using Facebook because you were hoping that that would help. Did that help? Well, not with this group because they don't, they're not Facebook users. Oh, they don't unfortunately. use Facebook. That helped with some of my other friends, but um, not my East Coasters. So that helps with LA friends because no one in LA ever sees each other either. But that's a whole <laughs> other happiness to merit. Anyway, I'll work on my end to, to be a better friend. What's Give me a, uh, a nice gold star here. Yeah, a nice gold star. But I would just say, like, the re- happiness research does show that, if ever, like, if you had to pick the one key to happiness, it's relationships. So it really is, you're smart to be thinking about it because you know, using your time, your energy, your money to stay in touch with those, those important friends like, is something that is going to pay off. But it's hard just sort of in the, the, all the chaos of everyday life to make time for that. But now we'll go to the gold star, which is more fun to contemplate. Uh, and I want to give a gold star to my mother-in-law, Judy, who's an amazing mother-in-law. Because one of the things, speaking of happiness research, that kind of surprised me is that there's always this talk of like, oh, you can reframe something and change your emotional experience to it. And I was always like, yeah, well, that just sounds like a little bit, uh, you know. Too like, easy. Yeah, too easy. Things are what they are. Like just thinking about it in a different way, how, how is that going to change things? Well, it turns out, actually, I've been completely convinced that it's true, that it's, it's surprising how often you really can reframe something and, and truly change your attitude toward it and make yourself much happier about it. And I thought of this with my my mother-in-law because every year we go away on a vacation together for spring break. And I always thought of the plane ride as sort of being this unpleasant interruption, you know, kind of hurdle that you have to get through before you're getting on to wherever you're going. And that was sort of my attitude towards towards plane rides. And then my mother-in-law just happened to remark, she's like, oh, you know, I love the plane ride going on on vacation because, or, or just generally, she likes plane rides generally because she was saying, like, you feel like no one can expect anything of you. It's kind of this holding time where you're just kind of free to do nothing and, uh, or just like do whatever you want, read a book. And that, and, and she just feels like it's sort of very calm. Mm-hmm. There's no demands coming in. But then once you're, once you're, wherever you're going, like, then it's like, oh, do I need to check my email? Oh, we need to, where are we going to go for dinner? And oh, you know, where did I put my sunscreen and all that, you know, sort of everyday life comes back in all those little things, even when you're on vacation. And it it was just funny, because now I really dramatically changed the way I think about airplane rides. Now, this is true if you're traveling without small children, because oh, boy, (laughs) traveling with small children, whole different thing. But if you're traveling by as with adults or with children who are old enough to keep themselves occupied, it's really true. Like now I think I love airplane reading. That's my favorite kind of reading. It's like the most intense kind of reading. And there is sort of this lovely outside of time. Yeah, outside of time. That's a perfect way to put it. Kind of limbo feeling. And so instead of thinking of it as this unpleasant thing that had to be got through, I think of it as it's sort of its own little quiet pleasure. Um, so Gold started Judy for helping me appreciate plane rides. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Put things away in an exact 
place. And call us. We're having our special 20th episode in which we're going to hear from you, our listeners. Please call us and tell us what one thing would you change in a relationship in your life. And don't forget, also call us with your happiness, demerits, and gold stars. Yeah. Uh, Our number is 774-277-9336 or 77-HAPPY-336. And submit your comments by June 24 so we make sure to get them in time. And be succinct so that we have uh, plenty of time to include lots of people's comments. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Henry Malofsky, and also thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com Panoply. Guys, did I sound less monotone that episode? Yay.